you take your Bibles and turn over to Acts chapter 5, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, <clears throat> but I want to tell you up front where, where we're headed so that when we get to the place and the journey today that, that we're going to be near the end. Um, Brian, I think we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to do an invitation this morning. I'm going to tell you where I'm headed. I'm headed to a place that there are those of us that are believers in this room, and last week we talked about boldness and praying for boldness. And so at the end of our service today, I'm going to ask you to respond, those of us that are believers, in reference to that boldness. Maybe there's, there's somebody that the Lord has put on your heart this past week. Maybe there's a relationship that God has put in your path, your sphere of influence, and this morning um, you sense the need to pray. We're going to do that at the end. And then also, there are those of you that may be here this morning that, um, that you're not a follower of Christ. And I'm just glad that you're here. I mean, you may have attended church periodically from time to time at special events or whatever it may be. Um, but this morning, the Lord speaks into your heart and, and, he, and you sense him calling your name um, to repent and to turn from your sin. And in the midst of that, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to be able to respond to Christ and to say, that's me. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to fall on my knees, and I want to give you my life. And so as we start today, I want to sort of tell you up front, that's where we're going to head today, that at the end we'll do an invitation together, and there will be that opportunity to, to respond. But let me, let me just say this sort of up front. Um, if, if, if I were to ask you to paint a picture for me of your church experience or the meaning of church, what picture might you paint? It wouldn't surprise me if some of you in here have some, some humdinger of stories. <laughs> Conflicts, fights, committee meetings, business meetings, businessman done you wrong somebody in church that always had their hands raised during the praise and worship but that's not who they were outside of church it wouldn't surprise me if some of you guys have some stories like that to tell I think all of us do I've got some stories see I remember the time that I was in middle school class and that the teacher was teaching in the middle of that he decided he was gonna say some not so nice words because we as middle school students weren't being so nice and I don't remember what he was teaching about that day but I do remember the word that he spoke are you with me I do remember the time that I was speaking in church and I was sitting out in the in the audience and my after the choir special my dad decided that he was going to to uh, do something that was very unconventional he said, Pastor, listen, while you're speaking, if you just hold on one second, because I think, would you ask Sidney in the back what he's, what he's talking about? Because he's talking while you're talking, so obviously he has some, something more important to say than you do. <laughs> Man, listen, we had ice cream and cake when I got home, okay? Are you with me? It was a, it was a great time. But regardless of how much, how little, I would dare say that every one of us have a story to tell about your church experience. And in reference to that, I said this a couple of weeks ago, that how many of us, the reality is our understanding of church is based off our experience and our exposure. 
And if we were to really get down to it, I wonder if what we've been exposed to and what we've experienced is really what God designed early on when the church began. And if you remember, we said that the church didn't begin as an institution. The church didn't begin as a building. The church didn't begin of a hierarchy. It didn't have programming. It didn't have all these other things that we today think that you have to have to be the church. But what the church was, the church was a movement. And it was a movement that was based off of one event that took place in history that happened not 2,000 years ago, but it happened then. And it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't people that heard about the resurrection of Jesus that spread the word, but the Bible talks about eyewitnesses. It was eyewitnesses that were there that saw him beaten. They saw him arrested. They saw him beaten. They saw him... um, crucified yet they also saw the resurrection and they spoke and when they spoke they spoke extremely boldly because it wasn't something that they had heard about but it was something that they had seen with their own eyes and the Bible tells us and we've learned over the past couple of weeks that on that first day when the Holy Spirit came there were 3,000 believers that day that were baptized and then just a short period of time after that The Bible gives reference that more than 5,000 men in that city, not including women and children, were believers and followers of Jesus. And here in a a city that's probably 50,000, 60,000 people at that time, more than 10% of the population, pretty much statistics, if you're into statistics, more than 10% of the population became believers. And it created a tremendous amount of chaos and stir. Because in that community, in that city of Jerusalem, there was a delicate balance of power that existed between the Roman leaders and also between the Jewish leaders. And basically the goal was to keep, was to keep the peace. But when Jesus came on the scene, it wasn't peace, but it was chaos. It was chaos. And we saw where the, the Peter and John, the early leaders, were arrested and they ended up spending time in jail and they were told you stop talking about Jesus and if you remember last week when they got out they all got together and this is what they prayed in Acts 4 29 and now O Lord hear our threats hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word but wasn't it the boldness that they had about preaching the word wasn't it the boldness that got them thrown in prison to start off with yeah but they got together and they prayed and they didn't pray, oh, Lord, keep us safe and, and you know, protect us and watch after us and, and, and all those things. They said, Lord, give us boldness. And boldness wasn't the only thing they prayed for, but they also prayed for signs and wonders. And that's exactly what happened during that time. Many people, many people, many people were healed. The lives of many people were changed. And you'll see just a little bit later down the line that it wasn't just the physical healings, but it was the lives of people that were radically changed. People that were far, far from the Lord came close, close to the Lord and become some of the greatest advocates for Jesus and the message. And the church was unified, and it was powerful. Let me say this. It's good to have William with us today from Nicaragua, staying with our family this week while Rick and Mary are in Orlando for some training. They're missionaries in Nicaragua, but William is is a Nicaraguan national, and we were talking yesterday just about some of the prayers and some of the blessings I don't even know if we even understand how blessed we are as a nation probably one of the safest and blessed places on this earth and here we are living in Lake and Sumter County 
in one of the safest nations here on this earth. And there's so many things that I believe that we take for granted. Um, and it's, if we were to ever take a step back and to see from a different perspective just the things that we have been blessed with, because I believe this, the blessings sometimes cause us to not be bold. The blessings sometimes erode from us the courage that we should have to live for Jesus. When we were uh, going down the river, I don't know if Marty's here today, but William will attest, and we were talking about this. You know, I would hate for one day for us to walk in and no air. Thanks to Carl, we got good air. I would hate to walk in here one day and the electricity be off, you know, thanks to Florida Power and Light or whoever we have for Power and Light, that we've got, we've got lights, or the video to go off, which happens from time to time. But you know, those things are so insignificant to other believers around the world. And they gather all times in, in situations where there is no building or very little of a building, where there is no electricity, where there is no air conditioning, where there's tremendous amounts of mosquitoes and everything else that's happening. We were in a situation on, down in St. Andreas on, a, on a, a, little, a little jut of an island when we were, we were looking for the Mayama people there in Nicaragua and we were with the Mesquite Indians. And we were in a little bitty worship area. And in that worship area, there were animals running in and out of our feet. The doors were open. The little windows that they had were open. The only lighting that we had came from a battery-powered pack that caught, uh, that caught rays from the sun during the day. And if it was dark during the day, guess what you didn't have at night? You didn't have that little battery, battery light. And those people, as they came in, they came from all over the place. They came from all over the place, and here it was, pouring rain. They didn't complain, but they came in, and they assembled in that place. And mosquitoes are just all over. I mean, I've got more off on me than you can imagine. But they didn't complain. Children were making noise, and nobody said a thing. Nobody looked at their watch to see what time it was. But it was a gathering of God's people. And they were excited to be there. And blessed? They would have said they were blessed. But here, blessings? I think a lot of times we take those blessings, we take them for granted. But how many times has our boldness been eroded because of the blessings that God has, has given us? So there was a time in the church when things were simple, and the only thing they thought about was this, that everybody lives forever somewhere. And they believed that God had given them the answer to that dilemma. And so here it was that they had the answer to that dilemma. They had the answer to salvation. They believed that the Messiah had come. And they wanted to do everything possible to get that word out. They believed that God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, offered eternal life. And they didn't get caught up in the, all the extra stuff. They didn't get caught up on Facebook. And they didn't caught up, get caught up on the internet. And they didn't get caught up on the type of carpet or anything else. But it was simple. And it was about the message of Jesus Christ and His resurrection. We've been walking through the book of, of Acts. And we have seen and recorded and said that it was Luke himself that had recorded the details as closely as possible from eyewitnesses. And we've sort of been walking through this. And, and to start off with, we, we had left off the other day with Peter and John getting arrested, getting out, and then praying for boldness. Well, what ended up happening after they got out is the religious leaders all of a sudden began to lose some of the attention that they had been getting. Some of the people that were coming to the temple for, for, for their time to get advice, all of a sudden they weren't showing up at the temple. 
So guess what happened? As the attendance at the temple dropped and people stopped asking for advice, jealousy began to set in. That's what the Bible has to say. I didn't say that. Now, if you know anything about jealousy, what really what jealousy is, is jealousy when you don't get something that you want, right? See, that's what jealousy is. But you don't know anything about that because none of you in here have ever been jealous. You've never had that aching thing in your heart, Doug, where you're like going, you know, and you know, you've never had that resentment set in. But these religious leaders, they were resentment. And the Bible says that they, they were jealous. They were jealous. So with the arrest, they thought if we can just arrest them, we'll put an end to it all. So they arrested them because they wanted to scare them, to quit talking about Jesus. You're causing a stir. You're upending all the peace that's going on. We don't want that. Stop doing it. And in the middle of the night, Luke records that they were thrown in jail, in the city jail. And it was an interesting detail. But in the middle of the night, somebody, according to the scripture, an angel of the Lord came in and let them out. Well, guess what they did? They went right back out in the streets and right back out to preaching again. The Jewish leaders sent the temple guard and the captain out to arrest them and to bring them back. But when they got there, there were so many people that were surrounding them and listening to the teachers that the that the temple guard were afraid. So they sort of went on to the side and said, listen, hey guys, I don't really want to, I don't want to, you know, undo what you're doing here. I said, but we've been given the order to sort of bring you guys back. So we don't want to get stoned, so we don't want to make it a big deal. So would you guys just sort of maybe come along with us? Would you, would you, would you do that for us, please? So guess what they did? The apostles followed them back. They followed them back. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in chapter 5, verse 27. And the scripture reads, Then they brought the apostles before the high council. This is the, these are the big dogs, okay? These are the guys that get together to make all the decisions. These are the Sanhedrin, the lawyers, the religious leaders. Where the high priest confronted him, them. Didn't we tell you to never again to teach in this man's name? See, they didn't even want to say Jesus' name. 2,000 years, we have the same problem, don't we? Jesus' name has a way of causing us to get antsy. You know, we, we talk about, we don't even want to say Christmas because it has Christ in it. And he goes on to say, He demanded instead you have filled all of Jerusalem with your teaching about Him. And you want to make us responsible for His death. And again, you have to understand, this wasn't something that had taken place 2,000 years ago. This was something that had just taken place. They had just taken place. And he says, why in the world are you telling the story like we're responsible for the death of Jesus? And Peter's like, well, you are. You are. But they didn't want to claim that. You are because you are the one that had him arrested. You are the one that tried him. You are the one that crucified him. And then he goes on to say, But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him. Even though you don't want to acknowledge that. You killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. And he did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. And this is what puts Christianity in such a different light. Verse 32. We are what? Witnesses. See, when you've seen it and you've experienced it firsthand... 
boy, does it make a difference. It's one thing to tell somebody else's story. It's another thing to tell your story of what Christ has done. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey Him. When they heard this, the high council was furious, and they decided to kill Him. Because they thought, well, if we just kill all of them, it'd stop. It's just bring them all in, let's kill them all, and then it'll stop. And then look at what it says. But one member, a Pharisee called Gamaliel, who was an expert in the religious law and respected by all the people, stood up. So you got this meeting that's happened. You've got the apostles that are there. It's been declared that they want to kill him. And he stands up. And he ordered that the men be taken outside, the apostles be taken outside, so that they could have a little bit of conversation in the chamber. And this is what he said. Men of Israel, take care what you're planning to do to these men. Let me sort of put this in, in the correct terminology for you that, that may not understand this. Listen, I don't know if you really understand what you're about getting, just about getting ready to do, but I want you to think about it for a second. You better take care. You better, you better sit down and soak on it for a minute. You be, or as a friend of mine might say, you better watch yourself. Take care of what you're planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was a fellow named Thutis who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, and he was killed, and all of his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. So guys, okay, listen. While the guys are outside, and let's just, I, want you, I want to remind you of a couple of things. Don't you remember? Don't you remember back? Nothing ever became of it. They killed him. He was a threat. Rome got rid of him. Verse 37, after him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. There was a census that was going on, and Judas of Galilee said, I don't want to participate in that. Well, you know, that was how the Romans made their money. So he got together a group of people, and they were called zealots, and they basically said, we're going to rebel, and we aren't going to do what you want us to do. Guess what happened to him? That's exactly what happened. He got people to follow him, and he was killed too, and his, all of his followers were scattered. So my advice is to leave these men alone. Let, let them go. And there's, here's why. If they are planning and doing these things merely on, the, on their own, it will soon be overthrown. Listen, if this is a radical movement and if it's, and if it's something that goes against Rome, guess what's going to happen? They're going to take care of it. We're not going to have to bother with it. Verse 39 but if it, the resurrection stuff is real, is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You will even find yourselves fighting against God. Man, it shut them all up. In other words, listen, man, if this thing isn't real, the Romans are going to take care of it. But if it is real and God's involved in it, we better, we better watch ourselves. We better watch ourselves. If this movement is from God, if God is for it, who can be against it? And because of Gamil's comments, it says they decided to do. The others accepted his advice. 
they called in the apostles and they had them flogged. Now, we think, okay, they had them flogged, and you don't think maybe flogging is that big of a difference until maybe you've seen something like the Passion of Christ, and you go, flogging is a really big difference because they would take that cat of nine tails and they would basically beat them till the flesh would come off. Here it is, a rope that had those cat of nine tails. It was made of, of stone, it was made of steel, it was made of glass, and it was made of rock. All those things that they would take and they would beat them. And the scripture here says that they had them flogged. And so for the next couple of hours, they stood in line and they flogged them one after another, after another, after another. And they were told to keep your mouth shut. It's pretty simple. What would you have done? I mean, you're getting ready to leave. Now what would be your response after thrown in jail? I can tolerate that. Maybe they would feed me just a little bit. But now it's gotten down to the place that it's costing me something. Not just a little bit of time, but now it's costing me some flesh. Flogging in the name of Jesus because they were talking about the resurrection. I mean, would you be bold? Would you continue to preach and to teach and to be a witness and to talk about the resurrection of Jesus after you just experienced that. But I want you to sit in. I want this to sort of sit in and, sit, and uh, just to sit on this and let it sink in for a second. If they would not have continued to be bold, we wouldn't be here today. If they would have kept their mouths shut, we wouldn't be here. It would have stopped that day. So after they flogged them, verse 40, they ordered them never to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them Go, and goodness gracious alive, you can't believe what they did. The apostles left the high council. This is not a misprint. What did it say they were doing? Rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And from then on out, every time that they would take their shirt off, they would be reminded that they had suffered for Jesus. That every time they were with a group of people, they could say, let me tell you. No, let me show you. It's going to cost you. The following of Jesus will cost you. Now, when we talk about being afraid these days, we aren't afraid of being flogged, are we? What we're afraid of maybe not fitting in, somebody not inviting us into a certain group because we believe and we follow, want to follow Christ. Or we're afraid that we might be made fun of. That's what really what we're afraid of. We don't, we're not afraid of, of being flogged. Are you kidding me? Losing a job? Maybe. Yeah. Somebody writing something bad about it, don't hang out with them, they're a Jesus nut. But being flogged, there are people being flogged every day around the world for Jesus, just not here in the United States, because we've been blessed. We've been blessed, and what William said, it's because we had a group of forefathers that loved the Lord and that wanted to to, to make sure that we had that basis of foundation of Christian faith here in America. But it's not that way in other places. And it goes on to write, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to preach and teach the message that Jesus was the Messiah. I'm not going to talk about martyrs today and about the persecuted church. But what I want to do is I want to give you just a couple of things about some things that we as Americans can be bold in. So if you got a pencil, I want you to pull it out and I want you to write down these things really quickly. 
Number one, here's just some suggestions. Be bold. Boldness is the decision to speak when it would be so much easier to be quiet. Listen, simple, simple. When's the last time you've invited somebody to, a, to, a, um, to an environment where there were believers? When's the last time that you said, listen, hey, man, why don't you come and join us? Maybe it was a church service. When's the last time you even tried? Why, why don't you feel compelled to try? What is it that keeps you from saying, why don't you go to church with me? You ever thought about that? I'm going to ask a crazy question. How many of you are here today at Heritage because somebody invited you? Would you raise your hand? Somebody invited you to come. Multitudes of people. Do you know that statistics tell us that somewhere between 80 and 90% of people today that are non-believers say that they would attend a church service if somebody would invite them? Boldness. Boldness to speak when it would be easier to be quiet, to invite. Number two, boldness is taking advantage of every opportunity when available. Boldness is taking advantage of every opportunity when available. We talked last week about prayer. It's amazing how, our, how when we pray, our eyesight changes. Are you with me? It's amazing that when we, when we pray... When we take time to pray, how our eyesight has a way of changing. When you start praying for boldness, all of a sudden you begin to see some of the opportunities around you that maybe you never saw. How many of you ever see the person sitting next to you as an opportunity for you to be able to share your faith and invest your life? I mean, do you ever, see, do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about a time when somebody's walking through a time of difficulty that you don't go, oh, whoa. But instead you go, oh, yes. Jesus heals those hurts. He heals those pains. And instead of going, oh, no, you go, oh, yes. And you make that phone call. You make that visit. See, some of you know that because you've gotten a visit or call from me when you're walking through a difficult time. And you know why that is? Because it's a great time for Jesus to show up in your life. How many of us see... And take advantage of opportunities and are bold in that when they're available. It's amazing that what we're praying for, that we have a, a, an uncanny ability to be able to see those things when we're praying. You know, when you're looking for a problem, you're always going to find a problem. If you're looking at somebody else's life and you're trying to find a problem in their life, I promise you, you will find plenty of problems. If you're looking at somebody and you're trying to find something good, I promise you that when you look for them and, and, and you're looking for good things, I promise you, you will find some good things. Now, it may be hard to find sometimes, but you'll find them. Because what we, what we, what we pray for has a way of changing our eyesight. It's amazing the number of opportunities that begin to present themselves. And here's the third thing. Boldness isn't just about finding opportunities, but it's about creating opportunities. Boldness begins with a step. It begins with a step. Have you ever thought far enough in advance to think what it might be like one day for somebody to take you by the hand, Tom Fincher, and say, Tom, I want you and Sandy to know the difference that you guys have made in our lives. Tom, because you shared the gospel with me, I am a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. 
that you have not only changed my life, but you've changed the life of my children because you taught me to invest in my children. You taught me to, to, to share the gospel with them. Have you ever thought far enough in advance that one day there might be others that come to you and say, I want to tell you thank you for sharing with me the truth. I want to thank you for your, an email. Man, thank you. A text message, thank you. A visit, thank you. I had a friend of mine right now that's on his deathbed, and there were a couple of guys that he worked with for years, invested, and he said, Sid, I always thought it fell on deaf ears until they both came and saw me the other day. And both of them said to me, thank you for investing in our lives and not giving up on us. That's what they said. Can you imagine the encouragement that that brings? And at the end of that, he said, when they left, I wasn't ready to see Jesus. But when they left, I knew that my life had counted. And I said, Jesus, if today is the day, come take my life. I'm ready. See, talking about boldness can be very intimidating. Because when we talk about boldness, it may be really difficult because you claim to be a Christian, but your life doesn't exhibit a lifestyle of moving towards Christ. If I were to take and I were to interview five of your closest friends, what do you think that they would say was your greatest loves? Would Jesus even be on that list? Of the things that you valued the most, would Jesus even be on that list? Of where you put your time, would Jesus be on that list? Of where you spent your resources, would Jesus be on that list? The people, I'm not talking about people that know you at church. I'm talking about the people that know you, the one that you work beside. I'm talking about the guy, the, your, na- your next door neighbor, your family. So when we talk about boldness, we really need to be talking about holiness too. Not just about those of us that profess Christ. But those of us that are saying, I'm on a journey with Christ and I'm less of me and more of Him. But I want to finish up today by saying this, and I told you up front about an invitation. From a believer's perspective, here's just a few things I thought we might need to think about today and to pray in reference to. Help me to be bold in my witness. Number two, God, is there somebody in my sphere of influence that you have placed on my heart that I need to invite to be bold in my invitation? Father, who is it that I need to include and not just wait on that opportunity to come to me, but who is it that I need to go out and be intentional to include? Who has God placed in my sphere of influence? Who is it that I might need to hang out and spend some more time with? What are the names, the specific names of the people that I need to be praying for? Boldness? Yeah. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning, just a couple of seconds, a couple of minutes, to say, to give you a chance to respond in where you are, or not even where you are, to come to this altar, this place, and to kneel, or to stand, and just to say, Just in your walking to say, God, I want everybody to know that I want to be. See, that's even a bold step, isn't it? See, some of us would rather even sit in the pew and and say, I want to pray right here instead of walking because we're, we're afraid. 
Give me boldness to live out and to take the gospel and to not, be a, not to be silent, to not be a chameleon. But Father, help me to, to live for you. Give me the boldness. And in just a second, when Brian and them are going to play, to come and say, God, give me that boldness. Maybe even mention a name or two of people that the Lord has laid on your life. To, I want to be bold in my invitation. But also, for, for those of us that are here that may not be followers of Christ, I want, to, I want to remind you of a passage that maybe you've heard before. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That God so loved the world. And you know what? He loved us. And Amy, he loved us not because we loved him first. He loved us not because we deserved it. But he loved us, period. And he loved us, and because of his love, he did something only he could do. He offered us eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and begotten son. And that whosoever believeth in him, trust, faith, stepping out, believing, that whosoever could have eternal life, and spend eternity in heaven with his Father. And so if you're here today, and you're not a follower of Jesus, God loves. And because of his love, he gave. You have the opportunity to believe. I can't do it for you. It's something that you've got to believe on your own. You've got to trust it. And with that believing, the Bible says that we receive something that's free. It's God's gift of eternal life. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love to give you an opportunity to respond, to pray something like this. Dear Lord, man, my life's a mess. And today, I want to commit my life to live, to you, live for you. I believe that your son died on the cross because of what the eyewitnesses saw, because of that testimony that was not only, it was written down, but it has been passed down from generation to generation. And I see the evidence of that, of Jesus at work in the lives of people around me, and I want that. I don't want to just go to church on Sunday mornings, but I want to have the hope that comes through anchoring in, not on a, not on a religious denomination, not on a group of people, but I want to be anchored into something that is stable, and something that is secure, and something that is lasting. And so, Jesus, I want to follow you today. I want to trust you. And so when I pray in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you that chance to come, and I'll ask Jim if you would come, and Jack if you would come, and Tom if you and Sandy would come and stand up front here, and even Meredith. Sharon, if you can stand. If you can stand. Oh, my hip. And if you want to trust Jesus and you want to follow him, I want to invite you to come today. But this is an invitation. This is a time to respond. And don't come because, because you're afraid of what I might think. Don't come because you're afraid of what the other person might think. Don't not come because you're afraid of what the other person might, might think. You come because this is what you know, that what you believe. You come because you know this is what the Lord is asking you to do. You come as believers and you pray here at these, this, this altar for your unsaved friends and, and for the invitation, for the courage to be able to stand up and to be bold, not to be crazy. But to take those opportunities to build that intentional relationship, to share Christ, to be bold in your invitation. Those of you that are believers, come. Maybe there's something else you need to pray for. 
But if you're here also and you're not a believer, today's a great day to say, I want to declare my faith in Jesus. Would you come this morning? And I want to pray with you before, before we begin this process. Would you pray with me? Father, just as Brian plays, uh, this lends itself so much to us coming, so much to us having a response to you. And Lord, I pray today that those of us that feel that, that tug at our heart, that we would not sit, but we would move and be bold. May this not be a move of emotion, but this, may this be a move of, of courage of boldness because we want to be faithful for the person that's in this room today that's saying I want to follow Jesus I'm going to follow Jesus that for the first time they're saying I want to declare my faith and I want to go public would they even come this morning and, and see one of these counselors that are at the front and say I just I want to trust Jesus will you help me with that and father I pray for a sense of boldness in this room today and a sense of your presence as Brian plays in Jesus' name.